You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. So ultimately, this is going to be a four, uh, the opening of a four-part series on communication. But before we get into communication, uh, we need to understand the principle of replacement. Uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Uh, we can move to the next slide. We're going to be looking. Uh, you can actually find the principle of replacement all over the Bible, but uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Ephesians chapter four and where uh, it appears. Uh, oh. Okay, that's fine. Uh, we, we can stay there. Uh, we kind of started in verse in verse 17 through 21 uh, with the charge. Paul's charge to Christians is, look, it's the nature of Christians to, to be growing. We don't live the way we used to live in our sinful lives, uh, in our uh, sensual desires. Uh, instead, we are supposed to, uh, you know, we're supposed to be living as, as Christians as part of the church. Uh, the question then becomes, well, if we're supposed to be growing and changing, if this is uh, endemic to the Christian life, then how do we grow and change? Uh, and this is where, and this is one of the, the simplest things to understand in the New Testament, but is one of the things that we so easily get wrong. It's the principle of replacement, and one of the places we see it most explained here uh, is Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Sometimes this is called the the put-off, put-on principle, uh, but we can also call it the replacement principle. And we can move uh, kind of three three points. Uh, We can move to the next. Uh, I always do big points for my students at Spring Arbor. So you get Mark's three big points tonight. Uh, this is a principle of replacement. You can only, we can only come o- uh, overcome the bad or the sinful habits in our lives if we replace them with good or righteous ones. It's so simple to understand, but how often do we get this wrong? Uh, let's just take a few examples of, of where we, we really go wrong with this. Uh, anger. Any of you have a problem, identified a problem of anger in your life? And you say, man, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't get angry. How well does that work out? All right, today I'm not going to get angry. How'd that day go for you? Worry. Worry is incredibly common too. Uh, but worry is also very uh, destructive. Worry paralyzes us. It, it keeps us from uh, being personally responsible. So I get, all right, today I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry about stuff. How does that work out? Procrastination. This is a great one with my students, right? I'm not going to procrastinate, right? Right. I procrastinated through high school. I'm not going to procrastinate anymore. <clears throat> What's the problem in all these scenarios? We are trying to replace bad or sinful habits with Nothing. That doesn't work. That's not the way that we were made, right? Uh, Neither spiritually nor just biologically, mentally. You can't replace bad or sinful habits with nothing. They have to be replaced uh, 
generally with their opposites. Uh, what do we replace anger with? Patience, self-control, uh, love, a desire to build others up rather than to tear them down. As we make that our focus, we see that that, that, that anger problem starts to be resolved. Worry. What do we replace worry with? Probably two things. Trust, confidence that God is at work in our lives. Uh, and then personal responsibility. Uh, really, those two things, I think, kind of go together. We can't act personally responsible unless we believe that a sovereign God is somehow on our side uh, working in our lives. You, you, I mean, we see this again and again in Scripture, that we are called to personal responsibility but only on the basis that we trust that God is working in our lives. Uh, Philippians 2, 12, 13 is one that comes to my mind frequently. Uh, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is working into you to will and to do according to his good purpose. Trust that God is at work in your life. And as you do, you can have the confidence that as you work about changing and growing, uh, he's going to take care of you. Uh, procrastination. What do we replace procrastination with? Actually, I didn't think about that one. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Not patience. Not patience. <laughs> um, the next time, uh, and I don't know when exactly it's going to be. I'm going to be gone for about a month. Um, the next time that uh, we gather, what we're going to do around our, well, I'm going to review the principle of replacement a little bit, but it's going to be a workshop that night. We're actually going to sit around our tables and talk about, all right, what are some common bad or sinful habits that we struggle with? And we're going to talk about what should we replace them with, right? What should we be focusing on rather than just trying to stop this bad behavior? Addiction. Uh, our world is filled with addictions. Addictions, everything from uh, coffee, uh, to, well, yeah, sure, coffee. Coffee, uh, prescription drugs, uh, alcohol, cigarettes, to video games, YouTube, and TikTok, right? Um, we, we, the, the, the term we use is addiction. The Bible would probably call these idols, right? Uh, things that are in, enslaving us. We know that we set something up as an idol if we're willing to sin to get it uh, or if we sin when we don't get it. Uh, we make idols out of everything. Uh, and uh, if it helps, we can call these things addictions, um, Addictions result from a lot of different uh, sources. A lot of these, you know, addict addictions generally uh, revolve around some kind of addictive substance. Uh, alcohol is pretty addictive. Cigarettes are manufactured to be addictive. Tobacco, the sense that we get from that is addictive. Uh, video games, TikTok, uh, TikTok videos, YouTube videos, these things are all made to be continuously consumed, right? So it's partly the, the, the nature of the substances themselves that are addictive. Uh, it can be uh, genetics, too. Uh, it can be biology. Uh, it can be sociological. Uh, a lot of uh, the addictions that we have or struggle with are a result of two things. Stress and boredom. Uh, living in a society with many labor-saving devices uh, is both a blessing and a curse, right? Uh, 
the things that used to take up a lot of time take up hardly any time anymore. Uh, we are just, as sinful human beings, not that great about filling up our free time uh, with the best activities. Uh, and so we get bored uh, or uh, just whatever it is, we're, we're stressed uh, and we look to different substances or activities to kind of uh, make us feel better. Uh, what we don't realize is these uh, addictions are generally not, ma- I mean, they might temporarily make us feel better, but they're actually destroying our overall health. Uh, just one example of, of, of this from my own life, soda. Uh, it's probably not just the caffeine. I'm not going to knock caffeine here, right? Mm-hmm. Caffeine addiction, I said, that's an all right thing. <laughs> it's an all right thing. Uh, sugar is pretty addictive. Uh, there was a point uh, around my mid-40s, I was probably consuming about 60 to 80 ounces of soda a day. That's where I was getting my caffeine from and in the sugar. Uh, why? Why was I doing that? Well, made me feel good. Certainly dealt with stress. I think I eventually came to realize that I was depressed. I was depressed, for, I think, for most of my 40s, and I just didn't necessarily call it that. Uh, but that's what soda, the caffeine and the sugar, that's what they were uh, kind of paving over. Um, the problem is, while those were temporary fixes, what was I ultimately doing to myself, destroying my health? Uh, so what did I ultimately end up replacing that soda consumption with? Stopping drinking soda? No, you got to replace a bad or sinful habit with its opposite. I was destroying my health. I needed to do something to uh, restore, to rebuild my health. Uh, and then it ended up being walking, and eventually uh, I was able to get back to running too, which is, walking is really boring. Uh, so I was able actually to eventually get to some running, but I had to just go through the process of walking too, and I actually came to find that walking was actually really good, not just for my physical health, but for my mental health too. Uh, when I'm running, all I can think about is how much pain I'm in. Marie can attest to this. She saw me running the other day. You see me running all the time, and I don't look happy. <laughs> I don't look like I'm in a good. I don't look like I'm in a good place. Uh, walking, uh, I can generally do without pain, and I can actually like think. Like it helps clear up my thinking. So uh, I've really discovered the value of, of of walking, and I still drink soda, just not nearly as much as I, I used to. So uh, we often continue to struggle with addictions. Uh, another one that that Jamin has has mentioned a, a couple times too is demonic. Right, uh, there can be demons that are causing us to continue to struggle with whether it's pornography, alcohol, cigarettes. Um, <clears throat> identifying the sources of our addiction is important, but just as important is answering the question: What do we need to replace this with? I think Jamie even said this said this last week. It's like, okay, so we get rid of this demon in your life. What do you What are you gonna What are you gonna do now? Uh, what do you? How, how are you going to repent? What are you going to replace this with, right? Because if you don't, this is where the Jesus story about he casts out the one demon from the guy, but the, like the seven demons come back. If we don't replace sinful, bad, and sinful habits with good and righteous habits, the bad habits are going to come back. Maybe it's not the same one. It could be something that's a lot more destructive, actually. But we have to replace uh, bad habits with good habits. Another example we see from this, uh, just from uh, this text, oh, you can, if you go back to the one that had verse 28 on, 
anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. But even in this very passage, you see Paul expressing uh, the principle of replacement. You have a problem with stealing? All right, I got to stop stealing. That's, that's only half the battle. You have to replace your desire to steal, right? And stealing can become an addiction, right? You have to replace your desire to steal with its opposite. What is the opposite? Working to supply for yourself, to supply for your family, sure, but also working so you can give to others. The opposite of stealing from others is giving to others, right? This is why I think we struggle so much uh, in growing in the Christian life is because we're not following this very basic principle. And I think there's a lot of reasons why, uh, a lot of the reasons why we, we, we forget this truth, but it's a simple truth. We have to replace bad habits with good ones. Now, just one final example from our contemporary world, racism. I, uh, I hesitated to, to call this message the replacement principle because uh, the word replacement has is, is been all over the news this past week. The Buffalo uh, shooter uh, was influenced by what's called replacement theory. Uh, replacement theory dates back to the Civil War, uh, post-Civil War years. Uh, during those years, uh, the 1870s, uh, white Democrats were arguing that the Republican Party was trying to replace white, bloater, white voters with black voters. Uh, and they were trying to rally kind of white, uh, white uh, uh, suppression uh, of black rights to vote. Uh, today, uh, interestingly, uh, it's predominantly white Republicans uh, who are arguing that Democrats are trying to replace white voters uh, with people of, with voters of color. Uh, so the parties have kind of changed over the years, but the replacement theory uh, is really the same thing. It's playing upon white fears uh, in order to win more votes for your side, for your team. Uh, and you might be thinking to yourself, wow, that is a terrible theory. I've never heard that before. I would never believe something like that. I'm not racist. And here we come to those three words, I'm not racist. Uh, maybe you've uttered those words. Maybe you've thought those words. Uh, maybe you've expressed them in some other way. Uh, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Uh, and how many of us think that, that, that this is the Christian stance on race, to not see color? Let me say, uh, the colorblindness, the I'm not racist comment is sinful. It's the sin of commission. Uh, in a racialized society, trying to opt out of, or thinking that you can opt out of, uh, you know, the, the racialized nature of our society uh, is a sin of commission, right? In the book of James, uh, James says, uh, he, uh, you know, whoever knows the good they should do and doesn't do it, they're sinning, right? Uh, the I'm not racist says, hey, I don't, I don't commit racist acts, so I must be okay, right? In a racialized society like the United States remains, uh, it is not good enough to be not racist, what I mean by racialized society, notice I did not say racist society, I did not say white supremacist society. I'm not trying to deny the United States has made significant gains 
in, in, in race relations, certainly since 170 years ago when we had slavery, or even 50 years ago when we had uh, legalized segregation. Nevertheless, race continues to, uh, racial, uh, racialized society is a society in which race continues to determine almost all facets of our lives, often in ways uh, that are, are harmful uh, to people of color. Christy uh, just sent me an article kind of demonstrating this, uh, I think it was yesterday he sent it to me, right? Um, a, a U.S. senator from Louisiana was asked, uh, I think Louisiana is 49th out of 50 states in terms of maternal death rate, uh, meaning uh, mothers, young children die uh, in Louisiana at, at a terrible rate. Uh, and the senator was asked, what do you make of this? Uh, and, his, and his response was, well, you've got to understand, 33% of our population are African-American. And they just, for, for what, he didn't say why, just, for whatever reason, they just have a high maternal death rate. So, he said, and these are his words, if we, if we correct the population for race, Louisiana is actually on pace with other states. What is it? Correct the population for race. What is he saying? If we just don't count the black people, if we only count the white people, Louisiana is looking pretty good. Uh, this is what it means the United States is a racialized society today. Uh, that a U.S. senator would say, look, if we just don't count the people of color, we just don't count black mothers and children who are dying, I don't know why, if we don't count them, we don't have a problem. We're all right. It's literally why we have like Black Lives Matter <laughs> uh, to, to address these, these kinds of re responses, right? This is what it means. And I could go on to you know, talk about more countless more examples of this. But the fact is we live in a racialized society where race still matters. It still determines so many facets of our lives. Uh, in a racialized society, uh, we are kidding ourselves if we think that we can adopt some kind of neutral, I'm not racist kind of stance. What does the principle of replacement teach us about race in the United States in the 21st century? We replace racism with anti-racism. We don't replace racism with not racism. We replace racism with anti-racism. And I realize that that, that term anti-racism is... Uh, Fraught with all kinds of baggage, right? There's, there's some extreme versions of anti-racism out there. Uh, I will admit that. But I think we also have to realize that the New Testament itself is an anti-racist text. Uh, I think the last time I preached here uh, outside, I was, I was preaching on Acts 17. That was kind of my point. Uh, the New Testament is an anti-racist text. Paul uh, was an anti-racist. He got that from Jesus, who was also an anti-racist. And so if we are going to be followers of Christ, practicing the principle of replacement, we have to be Christian anti-racists as well, too. I think affirming two things. Christian anti-racism uh, is founded on two principles. One, actively affirming the full humanity of all people. Actively affirming the humanity of all people. And two, uh, doing everything we can uh, to build up the multicultural transnational church 
the church that is pictured in the New Testament, uh, especially by Paul, is a multi, in the book of Acts, is a multicultural, multiracial, transnational church. All our Sunday school lessons teach us to think of God uh, and Jesus and Adam and Eve and the church as white. Uh, they aren't. Uh, God is not white. God is spirit. Jesus is not white. He was, he was, he was Middle Eastern. Uh, he was obviously a person of color. Adam and Eve were not white. You're saying they were black? No, they weren't black either. They were all, right, they were all the colors. They were all the physiological differences that could be expressed by the human race were contained in Adam and Eve. And the church is pictured in Revelation. Jamin, you know, talks about this all the time on Twitter and Facebook. The church that is pictured in the book of Revelation uh, is not a, a, a white church. <laughs> it's a church uh, that very, uh, very actively pictures all the races and, and, and nations and, and, and colors of this planet, right? Uh, and so if we are going to practice the principle of replacement in the area of race and race relations, it's not enough for us to say, I'm not racist, or to try to pretend to be colorblind. Uh, we have to be Christian anti-racists. And that has to deal with our interpersonal relations, but it also has to do with how we consult ourselves as social as well as political beings as well, too. Uh, we can talk more about that after the service if you want to, but I need to be moving on and probably already... Oh, I'm actually doing... Not, not so bad. All right. Not so bad. We can move on to uh, number two. Uh, so we've given you many examples of the principle of replacement, as I said. In a, uh, another month, month and a half, we'll come back and we'll do kind of a workshop uh, on uh, replacement. Uh, but a couple other points that I want to make about replacement... Second, replacement is uh, a mental and a spiritual process. And I'm really uh, kind of looking at those, that kind of middle verses, right? We have the put off verses and we have the put on verses. But in the middle of that, Paul says, be made new in the attitude of your minds. Renew your minds. And, and you see this, Paul, is, is in almost every letter he writes, is, is, is expressing some kind of the same thing. Renew your minds. Uh, and this is what I'm saying, this uh, renewing of our minds that is essential to be able to move from sinful and bad habits to righteous and good habits. Uh, this renewing of our minds is both a mental and a spiritual process. Now let me give you an example of this from, from my own life. So I became a, a Christian while I was in college. A little later in life, I grew up in a Christian, Christian home and everything, but... Um, Kind of went my own way in my uh, later teen years. When I became a Christian, I was working at McDonald's at the time. I was the most profane and probably disgusting person uh, at McDonald's at that time. The, the language that came out of my mouth, the, 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 the cursing, the, the inappropriate comments, it's, it's terrible. Uh, so I became a Christian, like, you know, I probably shouldn't talk that way anymore. <laughs> Uh, I probably shouldn't be using all this uh, cursing and the disgusting comments and stuff that I'm making. I got to stop doing this. Uh, and so every day before I go into work, I said, "All right, today's the day. I'm uh, I'm not going to swear. Today's the day. I'm not going to make an inappropriate comment." Guess what? I swore I made inappropriate comments. And so the next day, all right, today, really, not going to do it. Swore I made inappropriate comments, and this went on day after day after day. Very discouraging. On connected to this, I thought to myself, you know, I'm a Christian now. I probably should start reading the Bible, 
right? That's what Christians do. They read the Bible. So, yeah, I, I'd grown up in a KGV-only church. I got an NIV version of the Bible. I'm like, oh, my word, this thing actually makes sense. I can understand this. Uh, so I really uh, came to enjoy reading the Bible. Um, and as I did, and I, I'm not making connections to these things. But I just, I'm, 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 I'm reading the Bible. I'm thinking about the Bible. I'm, I'm memorizing Scripture. I'm internalizing this stuff. And I start going to work at McDonald's, and guess what? I'm not swearing, and I'm not making inappropriate, or making them a lot less than I did. Uh, why is that? Because Scripture was teaching me uh, that uh, instead of exalting myself, and why does a person swear? Why does a person make uh, inappropriate comments? It's usually because they're trying to exalt themselves. Uh, instead of thinking about that, how do I magnify myself? I was starting to think about how can I maybe build others up? How can I, uh, this, this good news that I've kind of taken in, how can I share that with others, right? How can I evangelize my coworkers, right? I started, instead of wanting to magnify myself, I started thinking about what do my coworkers need? How can I build them up? How can I evangelize? How can I try to bring them into the church? And as I started thinking about that, how to help others, guess what? I stopped thinking about how to magnify myself, now, that was a mental process, right? It's just, it's, it's basic psychology. If we think about this, we're not thinking about this. If we give our attention to this, this is what's going to, this is going to translate into our behavior. But this is also a spiritual process as well, too, right? When we read scripture, when we internalize scripture, we're giving the spirit something, the spirit in our lives, we're giving the spirit something to work with. This is a, a great phrase I've picked up over the years. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to accomplish the work of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to accomplish the work of God. As we internalize Scripture, we give the Holy Spirit, uh, we give the Spirit weapons, honestly, to fight. The book of Galatians suggests that the, the Spirit that is in every believer uh, the spirit wars against the flesh. As we internalize scripture, we're giving the Holy Spirit new weapons that they can use to fight our sinful nature, uh, to help us replace those sinful habits with righteous ones. Uh, we're giving the spirit the tools to be able to do that. Now, a couple of caveats, uh, a couple of words of caution. I wouldn't want you to take away what I'm saying is, well, we just need to read the Bibles every day. We need to have daily devotions. Look, some of the worst people I know are people who have daily devotions. Some of the worst people I know have daily devotions every day of their life. They're horrible people. Why? Because just like so much of life, just reading the Bible can just become a, a, a ritual, uh, an empty, meaningless practice. What matters is not whether we're reading the Bible on a daily basis or not. What matters is, is that... Uh, are the things that we're reading, particularly the things that you and I really need to know, right? What, what Marie might need to hear, what Casey might need to hear, what I might need to hear from Scripture on a particular day uh, is different. Are we hearing that stuff and are we internalizing it, right? I guess I have Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar on the brain. Uh, <laughs> is the Scripture becoming part of our DNA? Right, I'm going to have, I'm gonna have uh, Jamin do a uh, Christian version of... Uh, Kendrick Lamar's DNA. 
right? I got Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4 inside my DNA. <laughs> you can work on that, right? <laughs> uh, but what matters is, are we, you know, those passages that are really, uh, that we really need to hear, right? Uh, to really identify the struggles that we're having. You know, those particular weapons uh, that are right, the Holy Spirit really needs to be able to fight those battles of life. Are those verses, are those passages getting into our lives or not? Right, that's what matters more than are we having daily devotions. Now, I always say, I mean, daily devotions can be a great way uh, to, to bring that scripture into your lives. But what matters is, is, are those verses becoming a part of your and my DNA or not? And if they are, uh, then we're, we're just wasting our time with daily devotions. You might as well get up and watch the news or eat breakfast. <clears throat> the second thing is understand that the uh, the Word of God can come through more than just Scripture, right? And Jamin's talked a lot about this, uh, different ways in which God will uh, communicate to us uh, through, through dreams, through visions. Uh, we'll give you another example from my life. Uh, so kind of early in my Christian life, went on a mission trip to New York City. Uh, I was talking to a gentleman in the park, and I started to try to evangelize him. And he said, "Yeah, no, Jesus came to me. When Jesus came to me in my room last night, he told me to feed the children." Now, I grew up in a church where Jesus doesn't come to your room at night and, and give you messages, right? You read the Bible, and that's where you learn what Jesus has to say. So this is pretty weird for me. So I'm talking with my uh, the person who was kind of leading on this trip, and I said. Yeah, I had this weird conversation. This guy said Jesus came to him in the middle of the night and told him to feed the children. Uh, and the leader was like, so? And that stuck with me over the years. Um, 30 years later, do I, do I think that Jesus actually came to this guy's room? I'll admit I'm skeptical still. Uh, my understanding of Scripture, and I know I might defer a little bit with Jamin on this, my understanding of Scripture, Jesus is... Jesus is sitting on the throne of the right hand of God. That's where Jesus is. Uh, not that he doesn't have messengers out running around, but that's where Jesus is. So do I believe that Jesus came into this guy's room? Literally, I'm still skeptical. But do I believe that this guy received the word of the Lord that night? Absolutely he did. What did he hear? Feed my children. Boy, that sounds like a Jesus thing to say, doesn't it? It sounds like a Jesus message. So here's the thing, and I think Jamin talked about this again last week, right? We've got to, we've got to test the spirits. These things that we think we're hearing, uh, we believe that we're hearing messages uh, from the Lord, we have to test them against Scripture, right? Does this sound like a Jesus kind of thing? You know, so I can say, yeah, um, this guy heard a word from the Lord. Uh, if he actually, uh, however that message got to him, uh, if what he took away from it is, I need to start giving to others. I particularly, I need to take a concern for children and figuring out how to feed them and take care of them. <sighs> yeah, that, that sounds like a Jesus message to me. So, uh, in other words, uh, leave yourself open for God to speak to you in many different kind of ways. Uh, but also keep yourself grounded uh, in, in Scripture and continue to internalize Scripture. Uh, all right, I think... 
Yeah, I could probably do this in about three minutes. If you guys need to take off, you can. All right. Uh, our successes and failures in practicing replacement are not our own. Try to imagine the last time in your life that you responded to a tense situation well. Maybe it was uh, a family member, a friend, or a child who ticked you off. Maybe even, maybe they even, uh, maybe they even offended you. They sinned against you. What's our natural sinful reaction in a situation like that? Oh, well, well, we often pretend. We say, oh, righteous anger. Right? This is a righteous anger moment. Right? I can practice righteous. Rarely do we practice. Rarely do human beings practice righteous anger. Right? What we usually seek is vengeance. They've wronged me. I'm going to wrong them. They made me angry. I'm going to go tear them apart. Right? That is kind of our natural impulse. But on this occasion, you didn't do that. Your thought, process, your thought process ran something more like this. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Be slow to speak. Quick to listen. Slow to get angry. These are all Bible verses, by the way. Uh, think about what does this person, child, family member, friend, what does this person really need right now? It really needs you to tear them down. It really needs you to seek vengeance against them. What do they need? Maybe they need some correction. Maybe they need some admonition. Maybe they just need building up. And that was your thought process. And so that's what you did. Rather than blowing up at them, maybe you went to them and said, hey, I want you to know I was really offended in this situation. Or maybe you went to that kid and said, you know, I want you to know what you did uh, really upset me. And you talked through how to restore that relationship in a way that built, that, that, that brought that reconciliation, but built that other person up. Have you had moments? I hope, I hope you've had moments like that. I hope you've had moments like that recently. What did you do after that, that victory? What did you do after that success? Pat yourself in the back? Good job. I did it right there. Um, that, those, those, that voices, those voices you were hearing, those thoughts you were having uh, about not getting angry, uh, about uh, figuring out how to, to, to build that other person up, those aren't your thoughts. That's the Holy Spirit. Anytime that we have a constructive, as Christians, anytime that we have a constructive thought, anytime that we have a thought that directs us towards love and peace and patience, joy. That's the Holy Spirit. Right? It's the point of Galatians chapter 5. The Spirit is trying to produce the Spirit of Christ, the, the fruit of the Spirit within us. It's trying to move us towards Christ-likeness. Anytime that uh, thoughts occur to us uh, that are tending to move us towards Christ-likeness, that is the Holy Spirit. That is not us. Uh, we cannot magnify our success. We should not magnify our successes as somehow being our own. But Imagine that situation where somebody ticked you off or somebody offended you and you didn't respond well. Try to remember the last time that happened. How'd you feel after that? You blew up at your child. You said horrible things. 
to your spouse or to your friend? How'd you feel after that? Probably the guilt started coming in. Possibly even despair. How can I do that? How can I screw up like this again? How can I blow up like that? I'm the worst. I'm terrible. Right? Completely down on yourself. Here's the thing. The same pride that leads us to magnify our successes in replacement is the same pride that leads us to magnify our failures. We have to understand that whether success or failure, this is about grace from one end to the other. We can move to the, the, final, yeah, the final slide. This is, I said we all got those verses, you know, that, that should be unique to us that are just kind of like daily verses. Galatians 3.3 is one of those for me. After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? I feel like every day Christians struggle with this. We are constantly trying to turn a religion of grace into a religion of works. Right? Uh, and we, we do this whenever we magnify our successes in handling a situation well. We do it whenever we magnify our faults in not handling a situation well. The end of the day, this is not about us. This is about God. This is about the Spirit. This is about the Spirit that's working in us. And this is about grace from one end to the other. Uh, I feel like we all need, like, like every Christian needs to, like, some kind of internal alarm clock. I don't know. Maybe we can make, like, a chip that we can sell to Christians. Right? Christians are great consumers. Maybe we can buy them a chip that we can put in their head. The first thought that they have each morning is, you can't earn your salvation today. Mark, you can't earn your salvation today. Jamie, you can't earn your salvation today. Kayla, you can't earn your salvation today. Nothing we can do can earn our salvation. So we can get all proud in ourselves. We can get all down in ourselves. All that we're doing is, uh, all that we're doing is setting back the spirit trying to work in our lives, uh, replacing bad and sinful habits with good and righteous ones. This is about grace. This is not about us. Uh, yeah, so that's all I have looking ahead. Uh, you know, we will ultimately bring this back around to communication, but we can't understand what Paul's trying to tell us about communication uh, until we understand uh, how we change and grow in the Christian life, and that is by putting off bad and sinful habits, putting on uh, good and righteous ones. Uh, So you're dismissed.